Let's open our Bibles to um, Mark chapter 16 and also uh, put your finger in Philippians chapter 3 where Paul read for us earlier. I've entitled uh, the message this morning, Another Form. Verse 9 of chapter 16. Now when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. And she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. And after that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to uh, the rest, but they did not believe them either. And then afterwards, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Now, if you turn to the book of Philippians, last week, the title was The Fellowship of His Suffering. But uh, sort of the flip side of that, in verse 10 of chapter 3, Paul, again, desiring the righteousness that comes um, from faith in Christ, rather than um, his resume that he lays out in the first nine verses of um, his Jewishness being a Pharisee. He says he would exchange it all for, to gain Christ but more than to gain him, to know him. And so we read in verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Go back to Mark and as we conclude on Sunday mornings anyway, we'll be going back through this, finishing it up chapter by chapter and verse by verse, but this will be the last Sunday morning in Mark. And it's sort of a different take on the resurrection because I was intrigued by several um, things that I'd never really noticed before. And so it is gonna be the power of his resurrection, but primarily... Um, talking about um, our eternal bodies. I want to look at it this morning. Last week the study was on the fellowship of suffering. This week we'll look at the power of the resurrection. The power that he had. In John 10 he says, no one takes my life. I lay it down by myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. Uh, this command I have received from my father. Um, no one could take uh, Jesus to the cross. That was his decision. When they came to take him to the cross, they came right out and said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And the squadron of about 400, they all fell down. And basically what the Lord was doing was showing who's in charge here. He says, I have, I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to raise it up again, and I have the power to send you guys home and lay it on the ground if I choose to do so. But he allowed himself to be taken. Everybody forsook him that night, and he was taken. This morning, and one of the reasons that I want to talk on this subject is in Colossians 3, verse 1, It says, if you're raised with Christ, that means if you're a born-again Christian, then seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. So our Bible study this morning is to set our minds on one particular aspect of the things that are above. Two things in particular, our eternal home, the New Jerusalem, and the bodies that the Lord are going to give to us. There are many things unsaid about um, our responsibilities, but some things are clearly stated. But I was intrigued by two verses that um, um, caused me to go in this direction this morning uh, in our study. 
I would like to look at the main aspects of Jesus' resurrected body and some of its supernatural capacities or capabilities. Then I'd like to look at what the scripture has to say about, um, well, first of all, we're going to be talking about uh, angels in particular and the different varieties of angels, um, and we'll be talking about them. And then what uh, God's word has to say about the bodies that are going to be given to us, either at the moment that you die or when the Lord changes us in the twinkling of an eye at the rapture of the church. Uh, We will have, the scriptures clearly teach that we will have different bodies from that point on um, throughout all eternity. But first of all, let's look at the angels. Um, We don't know how many there are. Revelation says when they sang, there was 10,000s times 10,000s times 10,000s times 10,000s. That's a lot of angels. And I believe there are different ranks, thus powers and principalities, different authorities. And um, I'm gonna get you thinking and and, uh, ask you a question I don't think that maybe you've never thought of before, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first of all, uh, let's look at, um, go back just a couple pages to Mark chapter 12, verses 18. And um, 12, look at verse 18. And let me make this statement. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever refer to an angel being female. They are always masculine, and that's without exception. And if you ask me why, I will say, I don't know. (laughs) But without exception, there's no mention of a, uh, a female as far as angels are concerned. Now, in Mark chapter 12, uh, the two uh, political and religious sects in Jerusalem were the Sadducees and then there were the Pharisees. When Paul was in, when we're in Flip, uh, uh, Philippians, Paul said, I'm a Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin. So he would have believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't. So when we pick it up in verse 18, this is sort of a, uh, a sarcastic um, question that they're asking the Lord simply to trap them, trying to make the Lord look foolish when it, as he's talking about the resurrection, to make the Lord look foolish with this hypothetical question. Pick it up in verse 18. Uh, then some Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, came to him and they asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind, has no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and dying, he left her no offspring. The second took her, he died, didn't leave any offspring. The third likewise, and so it was with all seven, uh, left and no offspring, and last of all the woman, she died too. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? They thought they had him, for all seven had her as wife. But the Lord answered and said to them, you do, Are you not therefore mistaken, because you do not know the scriptures, nor the power of God? And then he says, for when they rise from the dead, so when a person dies and rises from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. So now we learn something here, that when you die, um, uh, there will be no more marriage, uh, no more offspring, because of uh, you'll be like angels in that respect. We're not angels, we're the bride of Christ, and there's a difference between the two. Um, actually, angels, we're told, uh, their primary purpose is not only to worship but we read, aren't angels ministering spirits uh, to be um, guides for those who will inherit eternal life? If you've ever wondered about a scripture about guide, uh, having a guardian angel, there it is. Their primary uh, job on some of their part is to be um, 
looking out for you. I have wondered from time to time where mine has been when I thought he should have been around. (laughs) But concerning the dead, verse 26, that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage how God spoke to him saying, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. So they were messing with him, but he just put them right in their place that quick and told them, uh, you, don't even, you guys aren't even close, you got it completely wrong. Uh, in heaven, uh, there will be no marriage, and you'll be like the angels in the respect uh, that there won't be a reproduction. And so if with that little bit, let's go to Mark chapter 16, go back a couple pages. And um, I don't know why I never saw this before, but it really got me thinking. I want to read the first six verses of, of this and compare it with Matthew 28 and also John 20. And we'll get a, a complete picture of what happened on that resurrection morning when we, we put Matthew, Mark, and uh, Matthew and Mark and John together this morning. Verse one, chapter 16. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, the mother of James and Salome, they brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb, notice, when the sun has risen. That little phrase there is important as we put this together this morning. So they came, the sun was already up. And they said among themselves, well, who will roll away the stone from the door for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man, clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he is risen. He's not here, see the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. And he said, uh, as he said to you, and they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and they were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. I'd like you to go back to Verse five. Now, when, for, for those who have, have been to Israel and we visit Golgotha, which is very close to the place that the British own the property, uh, but I, I truly believe that the, um, the tomb that is there is the real deal. Um, it's a, they, they know it's a first century tomb, and uh, it matches up with a lot of things in the scriptures here. Actually, when you go inside the tomb, it, there would have been a very, very large stone because of the way it was shaped. Um, you go into a chamber when you walk in. Oh, I'd say it's probably 10 by 5, 10 feet long, 5, 6 feet wide. That's one chamber. And then there's a set of bars, and that would have been the tomb itself but it was all one open area if the bars would be up. And you would have had a place for two bodies in this tomb. And one would have been on the right, one would have been on the left, and then there would have been a a space, a walkway of uh, maybe, oh, four feet between them, and it would have been, it have to be at least seven feet long for the body if you're a six-foot man. So that's actually what it looks like. So here... When the women look in, it says in verse five, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe. Well, we're gonna find out for sure he was an angel, but it doesn't say angel. It says he's a young man. And that got me thinking. Are there angels that look older than other angels? Are there angels that look younger than older angels? Or or do they all look the same age? Here it says young man. I want to know why, because I have an inquiring mind, why it says young. He's a young man. 
Now, we're going to have insight on this scripture as we look at it from um, Matthew's account. So let's go to Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. And we'll look at verses 1 through 8. A little more detail. Now after the Sabbath, verse 1, on the first day of the week, uh, began, began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and he sat on it. Imagine being a Roman guard. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards, so the guards would have still been here, shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the woman, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen as he said. Then he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell the disciples he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going before you into Galilee that you may see him. Behold, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with great joy and ran to bring the disciples' word. And as they're leaving, verse 9 and 10 tell us that the Lord appears to them. And uh, they say they rejoiced and they worshiped him and held him by the feet. Now, I believe this is going to be a different account because this is going to happen to Mary Magdalene and the Lord's marriage is going to do the same thing, but the Lord says, don't do that, Mary. Here, they recognize, these women recognize the Lord and they um, follow through and they worship him um, and the Lord did not rebuke them here. So now the question, the wording from Mark of... um, Uh, seven and eight is identical to what the angel, the young man who was in the tomb, is identical, word for word. So it's possible that the angel that was sitting on the stone is the same one that's sitting in the tomb who is referred to as a young man. However, we're gonna find out in John's gospel that there's two angels. So as we put this all together this morning, Um, We have a young man in the tomb. Um, uh, In Matthew's account, the angel's on the stone. Um, What he says is completely the same, so it could be the same one. And the interesting thing about angels, let's just talk about them a little bit and their capacities. They have the ability to appear or to disappear. Yesterday, in men's prayer, we were going through the book of Numbers. And I'm going to have you turn there and give you an example of it. Numbers chapter 22. This is one of the greatest stories and funniest stories, in my opinion, in the entire scripture. It's Numbers chapter 22, verse 22. Those are good numbers. We find the story revolves around Balak, who is the king of uh, Moab, and Balaam, who is a prophet for hire, okay? And um, the reason Balak is so concerned is imagine two million strong Jews. They've just gone through Ammon. They've just defeated the king Sihon, and then another king Og, and the word is out. Everywhere these people go, they just defeat Nobody can stop him. Now who's next in line? Balak. And he's worried. And so he heard about Balaam, who was a prophet, but he's also into sorcery, we we read yesterday. And he calls for Balaam to come, to curse God's people. And so he's on his way to see Balaam, and Balaam basically says, well, you know, I, I can't, I can't um, do anything unless the Lord gives me a green light. I can't bless or I can't curse unless he says so. And um, as a matter of fact, it, as, as he's talking with him, 
Uh, we read in Jude that uh, about false teachers, and there's three examples. Look out for false teachers. Cain, who hated his brother. What did Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? By the way, what's the answer to that? Yes, we are a brother's keeper. But he hated his brother and killed him. And then it says, um, and look out for Balaam, who was into it for the prophet greedy in money. Look out for the prosperity teachers, because that's what they really want. And then it says, and the rebellion of Korah. So Korah was the guy who raised up an uprising against Moses. So in verse 18, uh, I can just hear Balaam as he's talking. He says, you know, I can't do anything unless the Lord's told me. As a matter of fact, in verse 18, he says, even if you gave me a house that was full of silver and gold, hint, 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 uh, I don't even know if I could do anything then. And um, so the Lord came to Balaam at night um, in verse 20, it says, if the men come to call you, rise up and go after them, for only the words which I speak to you, you shall do. Um, so Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the prince of Moab. Now, the Lord doesn't like this. And even though, presumably, he told him to go, don't you think that God knows what's in Balaam's heart? Don't you think at the end of the day he wants to pay off for this? So the Lord is angry because the Lord is omnipotent. He's omnipresent and he knows all things and he's all powerful. So he knows exactly what's going on with Balaam. He's on the take. So he goes, knowing that Balaam's on the take on this. And so the anger of the Lord was roused against him and he was riding his donkey and his two servants were with him and the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with a sword drawn in his hand, and so the donkey turned aside out of his way and went into the field. All right, what do we have here? We have an animal who can see an angel to the point that he's turning and he's getting out of there. Balaam doesn't see the angel, so his eyes are restrained, so angels can be seen or not seen. And that's uh, the Lord opening or closing the eyes. So Balaam gets ticked off and we read he strikes the donkey to turn him back on the road. So the angel of the Lord, verse 24, stood in the narrow path between the vineyard with a wall on one side and a wall on the other side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall, crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he hit her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood even in a narrower place where there is no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she just lay down under Balaam. So Balaam, Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey for the third time. Now this is my favorite, one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you've struck me these three times? And Balaam said to <laughs> The funny part is Balaam answers back. And Balaam said to the donkey, well, because you've abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. And so the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey? And which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day. Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. (laughs) This is hilarious. The first Mr. Ed, no going on here. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. All right, up until this time, only the donkey sees the angel with the sword. But now the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. Balaam, you're on the take. You're into this for a payoff. And um, he was called to curse. But every time he went to curse, all the Lord would do is put a blessing on the people and, and, and bless them. And Balak got more and more upset 
Balak got more and more upset because he never did it. Balaam got his payoff. I didn't go there in the first uh, study this morning because I got a little bit more time. But if you go to chapter 25, it's where we'll be at men's prayer next week. He says, look, Balak, I can't curse because God won't do any cursing. But let me give you a little advice. This is how God will curse him. You bring some of your pretty young gals down and bring them into the, the uh, tents of Israel. Actually, we read this in chapter 30. And, um, and show them how you worship. Well, basically, it's uh, adultery. And um, as a result of this, God judged the, the people for what they did. Balaam couldn't do it. He says, but I can tell you how, how God will curse them. And that's exactly what happened. Why did we go there? Because I want, wanted you to see that one of the characteristics that angels have is the ability to be seen or not to be seen. Matter of fact, the New Testament teaches that you wouldn't know one if you saw one. Hebrews 13.2, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have entertained angels unaware. What does that mean? That means you could be sitting next to an angel. Some of you are thinking, I'm pretty sure I'm not. <laughs> but you never know. I believe there could have been times, unknowingly, um, I actually stopped one time because I thought, Lord, this could be an angel. It was just a guy walking down Newbury Street, and I, I thought he was drunk, to tell you the truth, and he was having a hard time walking, holding up his, his trousers. So I thought, might be an angel, give him a ride. <laughs> and I pulled over, and he says, no, 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 I just got a leg problem, I'm, I'm fine, just, just I'm, I'm okay, don't worry about it. I said, okay, maybe it wasn't an angel after all, but <laughs> the scriptures teach that um, your eyes could be restrained. I had, a, I had this dog uh, raised from a pup and uh, talked to her like a human being. And I swear there were times that she's, there, she's looking at something that I'm not seeing. <laughs> and uh, I'm persuaded that, that she, like, like Balaam's donkey here, that uh, for some reason she was aware of something that that was, was in the room, angelic or otherwise, that simply aware of. So some of you who think I'm weird now, you know I am. <laughs> Let's look uh, this morning at, um, as we consider angels just for a moment and their capacities. I, I do believe uh, Michael the archangel um, is a warrior. He will be the one in Revelation 12 where it says Michael and his angel fought against the devil and his angels. And the devil and his angels lost and there was found no more place for them in heaven. So different principalities and powers. But let's look at the Lord's resurrected body. Let's go back to Mark. Mark chapter 16 verse 9. When he arose early in the morning, he appeared first of all to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. So when Mary um, saw Jesus for the first time, it's not recorded for us here, the whole story. That's why I, I like the harmony of the Gospels because John fills in the details here. So go to John chapter 20, and we'll get the full account and we'll see and be able to piece together different visitations by Mary and the women that took place on what we call Resurrection Sunday. So uh, verse one tells us, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, notice, while it was still dark. What did Mark tell us? That other women came and the sun had already risen. So obviously here, we have more information. Mary went while it was still dark. And um, she saw the stone had been taken away. What does that mean? That means the angel had already come and removed it. And uh, that's when the guards were freaked out. So she runs back and tells Peter and uh, John, and they run to the tomb, and um, they 
look inside uh, the tomb and looking in, they uh, saw uh, where his head and the linen was folded in a place by itself. Um, But they did not, according to this part here, um, see any angels. Um, And they went back to their own home. Now let's pick it up in verse 11. Mary, on the other hand, was still outside. Mary stood outside by the tomb and she was weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. Now, when the guys looked in, there was no mention of angels. She saw two angels. So now Mark says there was one young man. Um, Now we're told in John that there's more than one, there's two. And they were sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus was laying. Like I told you earlier, when you go into the tomb, there's two places for two bodies. And they were, the two of them, one was sitting at the feet and the other at the head where the Lord had lain. Um, and in verse 13, they, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said, because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there but did not know that it was Jesus. Question, why didn't she know it was Jesus? Possibility was she was weeping uncontrollably and uh, maybe she had her head down. One possibility. And... um, uh, Jesus said to a woman, why are you weeping? Why are you, uh, who, who are you looking for? And she thought he was the gardener. Now, we read earlier that um, Jesus is going to take another form. And I'm curious, and I don't have an absolute answer to this, this um, appearance with Mary and Jesus. For some reason, she doesn't recognize him. Is it because he's in another form? Or is it because her eyes are full of tears? Either way, uh, she said to the gardener, if you, who was the Lord, Lord, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Well, she may not have recognized his form, but she certainly recognized that voice. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him and said, Roboni, which means teacher, And remember, the other women worshiped at his feet. They were not rebuked. But here, Jesus said, Mary, don't cling to me. She laid a bear hug on him. You got away from me once. You're not getting away again. (laughs) For I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascended to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and they had spoken these things to her. Question, did Mary recognize the Lord uh, only because of his voice? Um, again, um, we, we can't say for certain. But in 19 and 20, um, this would have been in the morning. So uh, let's just follow it through a little bit. Mary was there first. Then... Um, Uh, Peter and John were there. Then another group of women came and uh, when it was light. And what we have here now is the evening. We're gonna go back to Mark in just a bit and show you what happened in the afternoon. But let's, as long as we're here in verse 19, this would now have been that, that evening, which I would have been Sunday evening. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them, and he just appeared. He walked through the wall, and he appeared to them, and he said, peace be with you. And he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw him. I believe in this case, uh, Jesus' resurrected body was one that looked like, in some form, the Jesus that they were familiar with. And, but it also, of course, because of, of the wounds, Thomas isn't going to be there, and uh, Thomas is going to have the 
uh, ability to put his hand in his side and put his fingers uh, in, in the holes. But here, um, I don't believe their eyes were restrained. They were glad when they saw the Lord. And let's go back uh, after looking at uh, this account here. Let's go back to Mark 16 again and look at this most interesting verse. Importance of having all the Gospels together here we're told what happened in the afternoon and it clearly tells us that Jesus changed his appearance. Let's pick it up in verse 12. So this would have been in the afternoon. Now, after that he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. So let's go to this story. It's in Luke chapter 24. It's my friend Cleopas and his buddy. They were disciples of Jesus and they're going home to the city of Emmaus. And verse, picking it up in verse, verse 13. Now, behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called, called Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together as they, of the things that had happened. And so while they were conversing and reasoning that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained. Well, Mark tells us, no, he was in another form so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation are you guys having? You're walking and you're sad. What's going on? And the one who was named was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things that have happened these days? And the Lord plays dumb and he says, what things? When they said to him the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and they crucified him. But we were hoping, notice this is all in the past tense. They're sad, they're leaving, they're going home. And as far as they're concerned, the one they thought that was going to bring in the kingdom is dead. What else can we do? And they had given their whole life, and now he's dead. So they're going home, and that's why they're sad. And he says, and they say, besides all this, there's rumors going around that this is the third day that some girls were at the tomb, they were astonished. They couldn't find the body. Um, they said they seen angels who said he was alive and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just like the woman said. Um, but him they did not see. Now the Lord interrupts them. He says, oh you foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. They only had the parts that talked about the kingdom. Isn't it true that people hear what they want to hear? And then they disregard the rest, as Paul Simon would say. Hear what you want to hear. What do they want to hear? He's bringing in the kingdom. No, 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 no. All the prophets said how he must suffer these things and enter into his glory. So now he's going to go back. They don't know who he is. And he begins to give them a Bible study. And oh, how I wish. I could have been walking alongside those boys on that day. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Let me just say something practical at this point about this Bible study. The volume of the book is about Jesus. Can I get an amen for that? The volume of the book is not about you. Do you know that? And yet, most churches today, and many of them are gravitating for what? To tell you something about you. How you could have a better life now. It's all about you. You don't want to know what the scriptures have to say about you. It's not very good. (laughs) Need I expound? (laughs) Hard is deceitfully wicked of all things who can know it. There's none that are good, no, not one. 
in me that is in myself dwells no good thing. Enough about me. Let's go back to the volume of the book is about the Lord. Then they drew near to the village where they were going and indicating that they would go further. It was getting dark. So this is why we know it's in the afternoon. But they constrained him saying, well, why don't you have supper with us? And towards evening and the day is far spent and he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to him. All right, then their eyes were open. All right, two possibilities here. The Lord, either at that time, he was in another form, Mark clearly tells us, decides to transform himself right in front of them and be uh, a Jesus that they would have recognized in a glorified body, one possibility. Other possibilities that he broke the bread and went like this, the nails would have been, the scars would have been evident. Either way, what happens next is what I want you to see. He vanishes. Um, And when the eyes were open and they knew him, he vanished from their sight. What are we learning about Jesus' resurrected body? Well, he could appear, disappear at will. He can change his forms to conceal his identity if he chooses to. In this case, he did. And then they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Gang, there's nothing better that's gonna satisfy your soul than sitting down and having a Bible study and having your heart and your mind opened because man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. And the truth of the matter is, the only thing that's, like Jesus said, drink of that water, you'll be thirsty again. But if you drink of the water that I give you, it'll satisfy your, it'll satisfy your thirst. And you'll be content. And you'll, and, you'll be, um, and you'll be filled. Well, they were not only filled, but they, they went, yeah, I never saw that before. And then he gave another Bible study. Yeah, we never saw that before. Oh, Moses, you mean when he held the, serpent up on the pole that was all about you Diagon. we get it now and so as he was opening up the scriptures um, they were just getting their minds blown away and they're all all of a sudden aware the Lord himself was just having supper with them and when they knew that he's gone so now it took them all day to get to um, to uh, Emmaus and it says that very hour they went back and said, the Lord is risen indeed and appeared to Simon. I bet you it took them all of 20 minutes to get back. <laughs> all right. So as we consider um, the Lord's re- resurrected body, let's look at John's account on it. Uh, John chapter 21. <clears throat> and we have more detail, details given here. John 21, one through 12. Now after these things, Jesus showed himself again to his disciples at the Sea of Galilee. He told them to go to Galilee and to wait. There's only 11 of them there. Uh, There's seven. There should have been 11. Where are the other ones? We don't know. Anyway, Peter gets impatient and he says, I'm going fishing. And the other guy said, we're gonna go fishing with you. And so they're out fishing about 300 feet offshore. And when the morning had come, so they're fishing all night, what every fisherman says to another fisherman who's standing on shore, hey guys, catch any fish? And that's what he says in verse five. He says, children, have you caught anything? And they said, no. And he said, well, why don't you cast your net on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. Well, right then and there, the, the light should have started to go on because something like that was said exactly three years earlier and they had caught nothing all night. And when they cast the nets on the other side, they caught so many that they had to get another boat. And Notice I said boat because I'm from Wisconsin. You guys got to say it right. And that boat <laughs> began to sink. It was so full. Here it's three years later. And because it was so great a multitude, um, John said, it's the Lord. 
And when Peter heard that, he put on his outer garments and, and he swam to shore. And as soon as they had landed, the Lord already had breakfast up and going. And uh, a fish laid it and had some bread there. And he, he told the guys, bring some of the fish which you just caught. Now one of the reasons we know Peter is a strong big guy is Peter went up and dragged the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. There were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said, come and eat breakfast. Now I want you to notice what else is said here. From the fact that the nets were full, they knew it was the Lord. But we read, yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Question, why would they even make a comment like that. Unless he has changed his appearance again, they didn't want to say, are you really the Lord? And is this a test? Well, Peter's gonna go through a test in, uh, in the rest of this chapter. Uh, but for right now, the disciples, none of them dared ask him. There's an implication there. Was, did he look like Jesus? Or was he changing his form? Of course it is the Lord, but they didn't, they didn't, nobody was gonna ask him uh, knowing that, that it had to be the Lord. So as we talk about the resurrection, Paul said I wanna know the resurrection, the power of his resurrection. One part of this is his body. He has the power to lay it down, he has the power to raise it up, he can appear, he can disappear, he can change forms, he can walk through walls, all of the above. There's nothing he, he couldn't do. So now, if you're, we're in John, just turn the page to Acts chapter one, we're only one page away from there. He also has the capacity in, in his body, not just to disappear, but to rise. So we read in verse nine of chapter one of the book of Acts, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. It's in Jerusalem on the east. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, so they're watching him until he disappears into a cloud. It says that two men stood by them in white apparel. So here we are back with angels now, but they're called men. Are they men? No, they're angels because they're gonna give an Old Testament prophecy at this point. So these two men are not men that are dressed in white apparel, so angels can look like men. Who said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will also come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Well, when and where? Well, you don't have to turn to it. I just marked it. I didn't do it during the first study. I just turned to Zechariah chapter 14, if you're taking notes. I'm reading verse four. It says, on that day, his feet, Jesus, will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half of it will go through the south. And um, thus thy God, my God will come and all the saints with him. Huh. So when the Lord comes back the second time, um, we return with him and he comes back to the very spot that he left from. And we read that here as two angels are telling him, the same Jesus that was taken up, he's going to come back to the very same spot. All right, that happened 2,000 years ago. And um, what Zechariah talks about is yet future. But my friends, I think the stage is so set right now for the Lord's return. Uh, so many things are falling into place so quickly <clears throat> that um, um, we know that 
it's got to be at least seven years because that's how long the tribulation period is before that event can take place where he puts his foot down again. So with that, what does God's word have to say about our bodies and our resurrection bodies? What capacities will it this have? For this, we need to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the question, as Paul talks about the resurrection, somebody had evidently asked this question in verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15, but some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? He says, foolish ones, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain like corn. But God gives it a body as it pleases and to each seed its own body. A pumpkin seed will grow a pumpkin. A corn seed will grow corn. So on and so forth. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of fish, other for birds. All right, now we go into the heavens. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon. Another glory of the stars and one star differs from another star in brightness or glory. So, also in the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, but is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, being a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, the one we have right now. But afterwards, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is of the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. All right, turn, that's 1 Corinthians 15. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 5. We had a guy from Calvary Chapel, Madison at Men's Prayer yesterday. <clears throat> and um, um, when it got around to sharing prayer requests, uh, he just got up and said, well, I just found out two days ago that I have uh, six months to live. I got a, a, a type of cancer that is not treatable any way, shape, or form. Doctor gave me six months. And he says, I'm not concerned about it at all. He says, I know where I'm going. And the guy was speaking extremely confidently, absolutely no fear whatsoever. He was confident that he's got a body that he doesn't want anymore. As I think about it, I got a body I don't want anymore. (laughs) Uh, And he was just ready. And uh, it was a blessing to the guys at men's prayer. He says, what I'm concerned about is this. I have, I have kids, and they're not all walking with the Lord. That's what I'm concerned about. I don't want you to pray for me. You can if you want to, but I want you to pray for my family. That's not saved. You see, as far as he's concerned, he's ready to go. And that's what our, our exhortation and why we do what we do. We exhort one another daily to make sure, like Colossians 3.1 says, we're seeking those things that are above because they're eternal and the things down here are temporal. And I love that we started the Bible study out today with this world is not my home. Sometimes we get way too grounded and we forget that we're pilgrims and strangers and we're just passing through. And we have to have, when the Lord said, let this mind be in you, which was also in me, 
Well, his mind was always about what his father said and going back to his father. And so we realized we got a little bit of time here to be the best influence we can to be an effective witness for Jesus. Good place for an amen. But I gotta admit, I was, I was impressed with this brother. And um, uh, he just so matter-of-factly said it. He'd only known it for a couple days. He said, six months from now, I'm not here. But pray for my family because some of them aren't walking with the Lord. How do you get that confidence? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.1, Paul said, for we know, there's a certainty. For we know when our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a, a house from God not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which was from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Therefore, we're confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident. Yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, simple question. Would you rather um, uh, be with, uh, well, let me put it in a a story form. Uh, Pastor preaching to his congregation on a Sunday morning said, who wants to go to heaven? And everybody raised their hand. Everybody wants to go to heaven, except one little seven-year-old boy in the first roll. And the pastor looks down and says, don't you want to go to heaven? Oh, yeah, but I thought you meant today. (laughs) Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die because it's something that we're not sure of the process. You know, and so... Um, here Paul says we're confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body than to be present with the Lord. Pastor Chuck used to say, he used to call his body his old tent. He says, if, I, if I'm ever on some operating table and I die and they bring me back by putting some paddles on me or something, you better be out of arm's reach. <laughs> okay, one glimpse of heaven and the things of this world grow strangely dim because there's just no comparison. Our eternal home that the Lord said he's going to prepare a place for us. I'm quoting Revelation 5, verse 9 and 10. We sing a new song in heaven. You're worthy to take the scroll, open its seals, for you were slain and you've redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, every tongue, people and nation. What will we be doing? And have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. It doesn't say we'll live on the earth. We will reign on the earth. Uh, John 14 says our eternal home, Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it wasn't so, I would have told you I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm gonna come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. The new Jerusalem described in Revelation um, 20, um, it talks about the foundations. It's 1,400 miles long. It's 1,400 miles wide. And it's 1,400 miles high. It can either be a cube with those dimensions or it could be a pyramid in those dimensions. Uh, J. Vernon McGee had a mathematician say, what would it take to put it the circumference of a circle around it with those dimensions? And when it was all said and done, basically, if it does have the circumference of a circle with the city inside of it, which I believe is the case, then we have it roughly about the size of the moon. So there's gonna be the, the earth for the next thousand years, the curse will be removed. And we read 
that uh, it says, what we just read in Revelation, that you have made us kings and priests and we are going to reign with the Lord. So our home is in heaven, a new Jerusalem. And I got a feeling it's gonna be like the moon in that it, it revolves around or is close to planet Earth. But that's not where our daily jobs are. The Lord said, if you're faithful now in little things, then I'm gonna cause you to be faithful over many things. Question, where and when? Answer, on earth reigning with him during the thousand year millennial reign. Then we go into eternity, which the scripture says very little about. But concerning this, um, it brings up the question, if we're living in the new Jerusalem, which is probably above the, the new earth, what's your daily commute like? Well, my guess is with our new bodies, remember the storm on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was walking on the water and came to them and as soon as he got in the boat, which was in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, storm quit, everybody with me? But then what does it say? They were in the middle, it says they were immediately at their destination. That's more of a miracle than the storm stopping. And sometimes people read over it No, it says he got into the boat and they were immediately at their destination. Immediate transformation. I believe that's the capacity we'll have. We can immediately go from our new Jerusalem, no problemo, and show up to whatever responsibility the Lord has for us there. Bible says someday we're gonna judge angels. And um, so I believe that we will have, our new bodies will no doubt have those same capacities. Well, let's close with this this morning. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and a word of encouragement and hope. As we close up the Gospel of Mark on Sunday morning, we've been talking about the resurrection, but as Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Well, the power of the resurrection has something to do with the abilities that our new bodies are going to have. So in 1 Corinthians 15, verse um, 12, we read the importance of the resurrection and um, how important it is that we have this glorious hope. In verse 12 it says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain and your faith is also in vain. In other words, what you're doing here this morning, you're wasting your time if there is no resurrection. Yes, and we're found as false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he has raised up Christ, whom if he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, and Christ is not risen, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Now there is a scary thought. Then those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished in their sins. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are men most miserable or pitiable. Gang, what gives a person hope and confidence? Like our friend from Calvary Chapel, Madison. To have that certainty of, of um, actually, as, as we read earlier, groaning, looking forward to it, uh, wanting it that we're able to say, if you go to verse 53 and 58, here was Paul's attitude with this whole thing. Um, He just says, bring it on. Dwight phraseology here, but verse 55, he says, oh death, where's your sting? Oh grave, where's your victory? Uh, The sting of death is sin, and the, the strength of sin is in the law, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, here's how we end the chapter on the resurrection. Because there is a resurrection. 
Now he says, therefore, because there is, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's the power of the resurrection. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, I'm grateful for your word this morning and the hope that we have, especially as we're getting older. I pray for those that are shut in because they're simply too weak or frail, bound to a wheelchair, and they can't get around. And uh, they have this hope that your word teaches us that we know when this tent is destroyed that we have another one that you've made that's never going to wear out, it's never going to get weary, and that we'll always have a place that we can call home throughout all eternity. And you've even informed us what we're going to be busy doing for the first thousand years during your kingdom reign, and that's ruling and reigning with you. So Lord, as it says in Colossians, we thank you for the exhortation that if we are born again Christians, we're to set our mind on things that are above. And Lord, give us that heart like Paul, saying it might be important for us to be here, but if we had our choice, we'd rather be with be with you. Help us say that and mean that from our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. When this tent is destroyed, that we have another one that you've made that's never going to wear out, it's never going to get weary, and that we'll always have a place that we can call home throughout all eternity. And you've even informed us what we're going to be busy doing for the first thousand years during your kingdom reign, and that's ruling and reigning with you. So Lord, as it says in Colossians, we thank you for the exhortation that if we are born again Christians, we're to set our mind on things that are above. And Lord, give us that heart like Paul, saying it might be important for us to be here, but if we had our choice, we'd rather be with, be with you. Help us say that and mean that from our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.